Yeah, we think it's awkward when we uh, stand and say hi to one another, but they, uh, you know, Paul said, you know, greet each other with a kiss, so cultures do this very differently, so, you know, could be worse. So anyway, uh, glad you're here. Uh, my name's Nathan. I'm the, the campus pastor here. It's great to, to be together. Uh, happy Father's Day as well. Um, it's, it's good to, to be together. We are at the tail end now of 1 Corinthians. That was the last chapter uh, of this letter um, that you just heard read, uh, and we'll do our best to kind of work our way through it. Uh, we've been studying this, this spot for about six months, haven't we? Uh, and if there's anything, right, there's probably a lot of things, I'm guessing, that, that sort of sticks with you if you've been with us during this time, but one of them for sure is that sometimes uh, church is the worst, right? I mean, you just can't, you can't miss that reading a letter like this. You maybe you never thought a pastor would actually admit it, uh, but who, who are we kidding, right? Sometimes church is just flat out the worst, Glad you're here, by the way. Um, thanks for coming anyway. Uh, but, but we know that that's, that's true. I mean, recently, for example, I had someone come up to me after a service, tears in her eyes, uh, to just, just a few weeks ago to explain how um, they had just left a really toxic environment, a place where they had felt uh, spiritual abuse and such heartache and at, at church, right? And she, she said that they, as a family, they're just looking for a place to heal, And how I wish that story was rare, but I can't tell you over the years how many times I've heard similar words from so many of you. Sometimes it's full of pain, isn't it? We see it, don't we? Hypocrisy, abuse of power, uh, endless cliques, rejection, sin, of course, and a whole lot of not love. I mean, how many of us, at one point or another, have been hurt by the church? And, and Christ's community is, is far, far from perfect. And, and whether, whether you've been at church all of your life, or, or even if maybe church is like brand new for you, or maybe it's been a really long time, and if, that, if that's you, let me just say, we're really, really glad that you're here. We know it is not easy to walk into church for the first time, um, especially if it's been a really long time, or maybe, maybe ever since you've, since you've been a part of a community. We're so, so glad that you're here. Uh, and maybe you're kind of still like checking the exits, right? Making sure you, you're ready to, to, to bolt in case it gets weird or, or weirder, I guess. We probably don't notice how weird we are sometimes. But we are glad that you're here. But I, we're not naive either. And I, I don't want you to hear that. That sometimes, yes, even in the very best of circumstances, sometimes church is the worst. And I would bet that every one of us at one point or another has been tempted to give up on it. To just be done. You know, one more hurt, one more heartache, one more person who just was a complete hypocrite or jerk. I mean, we've all been tempted, I'm guessing, to give up on it. But nobody more so than the Apostle Paul, right? Because again, if you've you've been with us at any length of time, right, studying this this letter, 1 Corinthians, seeing over and over and over again, problem after problem after problem. I mean, have you ever seen a more desperate case than Corinth. I mean, they are a mess. If I were Paul, right? If it were, if it were me, shut it down, right? I mean, we're, we're done here. Let's, let's be done with this, right? All the fights over who's more spiritual. I mean, the chaos in their gatherings, the way they mistreat their own poor. They're backsliding into idolatry. The prostitution and the incest, let's not forget about those, right? The lawsuits, the broken marriages, the cliques, the abuse, shut it down. And yet you just can't miss it reading this letter. I mean, if there's one thing we see on every page, at every turn, every correction, every encouragement, 
is that somehow Paul still thinks it's worth it. Right? Even the fact that he writes this letter, that he, that he could, t- in fact, he writes multiple letters to them to try to encourage them, to try to, to push them forward, to get them out of their mess into what God actually intended when he created this, this strange this strange community. Yes, he tells them, make changes. It shouldn't be this way, but don't, don't give up on the church. It's worth it. 15 chapters, that's been the message. And it's the same now as we get to chapter 16. These final words. And we've got to come to, keep in mind, when we come to passages like this, um, that, that 1 Corinthians is a letter. It's not an essay, Right? And as such, it's going to end more like a letter than an essay. And so if it feels a little bit uh, scattered, you know, a little bit all over the place, or uh, that's, that's okay. I mean, some would say there's a good chance Paul's just running out of parchment, right? He's writing on the scroll, and he's getting to the end. He's trying to get everything in that he can possibly fit there in the last part. And it's highly personalized because he's writing to, to real people. And yet we're going to, we're going to do our best to gather a few principles out of his final uh, remaining thoughts here in this, this letter. And here's what I think Paul wants us to remember. I mean, if everything else kind of fades, I think, I think he'd want us to remember uh, from this time that, yes, sometimes church is the worst, but it's worth it. And we're going to look at three, three ways in which Paul brings that out in this chapter. First, it's, it's worth working for together. It's worth giving to, even, financially. And it's worth loving, even in the mess. But let me, let me pray for us as we get started. Let's, let's do that together now. Let's pray. God, I thank you. We thank you for creating this messy but beautiful thing called the church. God, we know the mess is, is on us. That's, that's what we do. We're, we are broken, messy people. And the beauty is on you, and yet we, we long to see more of it. God, would you forgive us for the ways that we neglect your bride, your church, Forgive us for the ways that we slight her and forgive us for the ways that we just mess it up. Give us hope for the community that you long to create here in this space. And God, I especially pray this morning for those who have been wounded by the church, which is way too many of us. God, I pray that you'd bring healing, give a a glimpse of the beauty that you intend. And for those of us as well this morning who are just particularly cynical and quite possibly for really good reasons when looking at the church, God, I pray that you'd help them to see that you are here and that you long to make us whole. Lord Jesus, I especially want to pray as well this morning for our brothers and sisters in Charleston. God, our hearts are breaking for this terrible tragedy. It's so hard to even imagine that that these, these folks, they gathered to pray and were senselessly murdered. They came seeking you, King Jesus, yet were destroyed by the hate of another. God, be with those families. God, be with that church. I can only imagine that even now they are gathered together as they do week after week to proclaim your message of love and forgiveness, the, the redemption that you bring to your son Jesus, and yet they are, they are doing so this morning with such pain. I just, God, I can't, we, we can't even imagine. God, I pray that you'd be with that church, be with that community, be with our nation as hatred towards those who are different continues to thrive. God, for the ongoing issues of racism in our country. God, even with that, would you challenge my own heart, all of our hearts with the injustice that we sometimes don't even notice. As well, God, we pray for the ever-increasing hatred towards those who call upon your name. God, give us courage. 
Give your people courage and faithfulness, no matter what comes. And God, would you unite us with our brothers and sisters, for we are are one family. Help us to weep together, to stand together, and we pray, Lord Jesus, King Jesus, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, God, as we end our time in 1 Corinthians, we ask that you would continue to speak to us. Help us to believe that you are worth it, that your church, messy as it is, continues to be worth it. And we ask that you be glorified, King Jesus. Amen. So yes, for Paul, it's worth it. It's even worth working for. Of giving our, our energy, our time, our efforts, all of that, to do that together. I mean, there, there is a flurry of activity uh, in this, this last, last chapter. Maybe you noticed it as we heard the words that were read. I mean, there's the work that God is doing through so many people in so many different places, in so many different ways, to build his church, this mysterious thing, right? This chapter is a call to action. I mean, even look, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to, to follow along a little bit. We're going to jump around a little bit because Paul kind of jumps around. We're going to do our best, again, just to pull out a few principles from these words. Uh, but if you have a Bible, follow along in chapter 16. Otherwise, we'll have, we'll have it on the screen as well. Um, but look at all the places that, that Paul mentions here. You, here's a map. Hopefully, you can read some of those from where you're sitting. But there, there are regions he mentions like Galatia and Macedonia and Achaia and Asia. Uh, he mentions some key cities like Corinth and Ephesus and Jerusalem. And the light green, the inner circle here of this map, uh, what's so fascinating to me is that those are entire regions where 70 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel had already taken root, had already begun to thrive. Like 70 years later, there are already churches thriving in all of those areas in that, that light green circle, and largely through the efforts of the Apostle Paul, right? And Paul, he gave his life planting churches, in fact, it's so, so fascinating. I mean, Paul, um, Stanford University, uh, they created this new thing. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, if you're a history nerd, it's, it's interesting. The rest of you maybe don't care. But uh, for the six of you out there who, who love uh, history, um, they created this thing called the Orbis Project. It's fascinating. It's basically like Google Maps, but for the ancient, ancient travel routes of the known world. And so you can kind of plug in, you know, from here to here and the old routes that most likely they, they would have taken and how long and how much it would have cost and how much time and all of that. And so somebody put in, you know, the Apostle Paul's travel routes. Because if, if you're at all familiar with Paul's story, um, I mean, basically, you know, he lived most of his life hating Jesus, right? Persecuting his followers, trying to destroy any, any message that, that came out about Jesus and his good news. Um, tried doing that. Then he met Jesus, and then he spends the next 11 years as a missionary, making three sort of circuits around this, this known world area, uh, proclaiming the gospel. Um, and then after that, he was imprisoned and hauled off to Rome, where he was eventually executed for, for, his, for his beliefs and for his, his work for the gospel. Uh, but in those three missionary journeys, 11 years, uh, according to this, this uh, Orbis project, he traveled 8,000 miles. You know, mostly by foot, Right? Maybe a little bit by animals, some certainly by boat, but 8,000 miles. And meanwhile, during that time, he worked a real job, right? He uh, made tents to kind of support his, his own way. He preached almost every day, and he planted somewhere between 15 and 20 churches in the most influential cities of that world, in, in places where they hadn't even ever heard of Jesus before. Isn't that amazing? I mean, even the most skeptical historians and scholars today look at the Apostle Paul and marvel 
at what this individual was able to accomplish. His brilliance, his hard work, his commitment. I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe, right? Uh, if, if you know even just a tiny bit of history, right? Paul shaped Western culture in ways that you and I, whether you're a Christian or not, continue to feel the effects of today, right? Paul shaped our world in 11 years proclaiming the gospel, giving his life, planting churches. Now, there's, there's other key leaders mentioned here. I just want to point them out really fast as Paul kind of highlights a few different names here. Um, first of all, he mentions Timothy. He says Timothy's on his way to Corinth. Uh, God help him, right? Because uh, Corinth is a mess. Uh, he also mentions Apollos, uh, who, you know, earlier on, they're, the Corinthians are fighting over Apollos, and they think he's great. And Apollos, Paul says, prefers to keep his distance from Corinth. Um, and, and who can blame him, right? The mess that they're in. Uh, Paul also mentions Aquila and Prisca, or Priscilla, it's just a different spelling of her name. Uh, she's a woman, which is, again, is just fascinating. From the very first century of the church, women played an influential role in the leadership uh, and the, the, the continued growth of, of the church. And then, and then he mentions these kind of no-names, right? These people that we, just, we don't know anything about, honestly. Stephanus, he says. It's towards the, the bottom there of, of this, this chapter. It says that uh, he lived to serve, Paul says. That he, he devoted his life to service, which, man, what a cool epitaph that'd be, right? He devoted his life to serve. And Paul also mentions friends of Stephanus here. Fortunatus, uh, as well as Achaicus. And, and historians tell us that most likely those two names are the names of, of two slaves. I just love that too, don't you? I mean, that they, they're leaders in the church at Corinth is, is what's happening here. And, and Paul tells the church at Corinth, honor these men, respect them, give them, give them the due that is theirs. And remember, I mean, if you've been with us, right, the Corinthian church, they loved social status. Everything to them was about social status. But again, the gospel flips everything upside down. Everything. And Paul, Paul's not impressed by social status. What impresses the apostle Paul is people who give their energy building God's church, right, proclaiming God's message of Jesus. And so he tells them to honor these these two slaves. Look at Paul's own example here too, in verse eight. It says that Paul made, he's made plans to head to Corinth, right? He's not putting them off too long. He's eventually gonna go there. Uh, but he says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? For a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. What? I mean, does that sound like a contradiction? Like, anybody think Paul is just, like, crazy at that point? It's a wide door for effective work, and there are many adversaries. What's happening there? Well, you can read about a lot of this in Acts chapter 19. Acts is kind of the, the narrative behind all of these letters, right? The story of what's happening in the background. And in Acts chapter 19, uh, the writer there tells the story of, of Paul there in Ephesus where he's writing Corinthians, right? Um, and it's, I mean, it's amazing what's happening. So Paul has been, been there for two years preaching the gospel there in Ephesus. And so many people are coming to faith in Jesus, right? People who have never heard of Jesus before, they, they're saying that this, this is the God that I'm going to worship, so much so that the economy of Ephesus is like plummeting. Uh, because Ephesus was, was a, a town that was known for its uh, development and production and dis distribution of household gods, right? Of idols, 
right? It's kind of what they did. You go to the temple, you pick up a little trinket. And so they're, they're econ- so many people now follow Jesus that the economy is actually beginning to suffer. And so this guy, Demetrius, again, you can read about it in Acts, uh, gathers all of the business leaders around, uh, these other idol makers and, and sellers. Uh, and, and listen to what he says in Acts chapter 19, Demetrius. He says, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And he started a riot. And, and Paul and his companions, they almost, I mean, like this close, almost lose their lives that day. A broad work, a broad door for effective ministry, right? And there are many adversaries. Sounds like a contradiction, but for Paul, the first part, effective work. I mean, that that so outweighs for Paul anything else, right? Any obstacles or difficulties or adversaries that he may find so outweighs that 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 for him there is no contradiction, just part of the job. As long as people are encountering Jesus, as long as that's happening, church is worth it for Paul. As long as people continue to meet this, this God who came, who died, who rose again, it's worth it. And so it's, it's in the middle of all that, right, if you can even imagine this, right, there in Ephesus, all this is happening when a, a couple of folks from Corinth come bringing a letter from the Corinthian church handed to, to Paul to tell them how it's all falling apart, how it's all a mess. I mean, that, that's when Paul stops, right, stops what he's doing there in Ephesus and writes this long letter called 1 Corinthians back to this church. I mean, even there in the midst of it, right, in the midst of all of that, it is still worth it for Paul. And so what would Paul say to us here today? Very different, right? Different circumstances, still messy. But what would he say? I think coming out of this, this section here, this chapter, I think he'd say choose courage, not comfort. Choose courage, not comfort. Because oh, everything he's talking about, all this effort, it takes courage, doesn't it? It takes courage to love others. It takes courage to serve. It takes courage to let other people into your life and the mess that you're experiencing. It takes courage to share, peop- share Jesus with people who are hostile or indifferent. And yet how often I just run to the comfortable. I mean, how, how quickly I choose the easy over the good. I mean, I feel like reading verse 13 here, I feel like Paul's talking right to me. Listen to what he says. Be watchful. Be watchful, Nathan. Be watchful, Christ community. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be watchful, he says first, right? Be be aware of of what God is doing around you. I mean, look for the ways that God is at work and, and join him in that. Watch for that, he says. And be strong and act like men. Kind of similar ideas there. And no offense, women, right? We still say stuff like that, don't we? Man up, right? And Paul has been telling them for 16 chapters that if they would just grow up, right? If they would stop being little boys, if they would act like men, then so much in their church would... They're just stuck in this sort of adolescence, right? Self-centered. And so Paul says, act like men. It was, it was a phrase commonly used in that, in that day for, for soldiers, right? Be courageous, right? Be strong, he's saying. Don't give in. And he says, stand firm in the faith. Don't waver from the truth. Continue to hold on to this good news, right? This message that Paul had preached to them. Don't let go of it. Stand firm in the faith. 
You know, one of the things I'm so excited about right now at Christ Community uh, to help us in this is uh, the launch of our Trinity Evangelical Divinity School uh, extension site. Some of you might know about this, others of you uh, probably don't, and that's, that's okay. Uh, but starting this fall, you and all of Kansas City will have access to world-class, fully accredited seminary education in Kansas City at Christ Community. Uh, and Trinity is my alma mater, so I know I'm biased. It's also where we get all of our fellows. I mean, Trinity, though, is widely considered one of the best seminaries in the entire world that continues to stand firm in the faith. And they are coming to Kansas City at Christ Community. And what a pri- I mean, that's, that is a privilege for us, right, as a church to be able to, I mean, my time there was shaped, I mean, it shaped my life, right? Changed me in so many different ways, those three years that I spent um, there in that place, and now they're coming to Kansas City. You can go to our website, you can find out more information if you're curious about that. Uh, we're going to start small, of course, right? One class this fall, one class uh, this, this winter um, with faculty from Trinity. Uh, some of my favorite professors are going to come, kind of a modular, sort of weekend kind of style classes uh, during that time period. Um, this is, in some ways, one of, one of Christ community's gifts to Kansas City, right? It's not just for us. It's something that our entire city um, gets to benefit from. And certainly we hear you as well. And, and I know not, you know not all of you are going to go sign up for seminary classes, right? Uh, and that's okay. We don't, ex- we don't expect you to. In fact, frankly, we don't want you to, right? It's not going to work. But some of you are, of course, and we'd love that. And yet the reality is for all of us, this is how we stand firm in the faith. And others of you, again, you're, maybe you're not ready for seminary classes. Others of you, jump in, do it. It's, I mean, I, there's a few of you I'm kind of going to push, right? Because you're going to love this. It's such a great opportunity. And yet for others of us, we stand firm in the faith by coming on Sundays, right? Don't we? By studying this, this book together, by going through sections of scripture and, and asking God to speak. We, we stand firm in the faith by talking about the Bible in our community groups. And that's why that's so important. Hopefully you're in a community group where you're discussing these things. And hopefully you're reading your Bible on your own um, daily, right? No matter where you're at in this, this sort of spectrum of faith, that you daily begin your day or end your day or at some point in your day, turn yourself towards God and say, God, speak to me. And if you're, if you're new at that, a lot of us are, right? New or just not very good at it. You're not sure how to do it. Um, I'd encourage you to jump in with our open here reading plan. It's so easy. Um, you can grab these bookmarks. Uh, you, we, you can also sign up on our website and we'll send you a chapter a day. All that goes towards the message, right, that you'll be hearing that Sunday um, to simply center ourselves around God's word on a daily basis so that we together, right, can stand firm. Um, the reality is you and I, and we know this, right? We drift towards comfort, every one of us, right? The path of least resistance, we choose. So we, we move towards whatever's easiest. And yet we choose courage. Yeah, it's messy. Church is going to be messy. But it's worth working for. It's also worth giving to. And I know, it's not because I, I don't want to talk about it. It's just, I know that as soon as, as soon as we talk about money, some of you are like, I'm done, right? You're going you're gonna, to, you know, play some music. You're going to get out your phone. You're going to check your email. You're gonna, some of you are doing that anyway, but uh, I can't see you, uh, by the way. It's, it's not that big of a room, just in case you didn't know that. Um, but I know that I lose some of you as soon as we talk about money. Uh, the reality is, though, what kind of church would we be if we didn't talk about money, right? If we only talk about sex and power and selfishness and all these other idols, the reality is many of us, money is the God we worship. Let's not kid ourselves, and we can't pretend that Jesus is okay with that. And so if God says something about the way we use our money, uh, then we need to talk about it. Um, we, we can't pretend. We can't push it aside. And I don't know if this helps or not. I like money, too. I don't know. You know, I do. 
um, and the stuff money buys. I also struggle to be generous. I, I, I battle this in my own life, but we just cannot miss it here. This chapter is a call to generosity, and the church is worth giving to. And let me even just say, I mean, we have such a generous congregation. What a privilege it is for me to be a pastor here, to serve here. You are so generous, so many of you, faithfully, sacrificially. And that's why we're able to do so many things and engage in our city and our world in so many different strategic ways. It's because of your generosity. So thanks, thanks for that. Um, and look, what, look what Paul says in verse 1, because he gives us some good instruction here. What he says in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay, so that, that, that's where he, he kind of starts off there, talking about this generosity. And what's happening historically is that Paul is collecting uh, money for the Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem. Uh, historians say that there's probably a famine right around the late 40s AD, uh, and particularly in the region around Jerusalem. And so Paul is asking the other churches outside of that region to, to contribute, to be able to help. And we kind of miss this. In some ways, it's like, oh, well, that's, that seems normal and good. But I mean, this is a radical cultural shift for Gentiles to financially contribute to Jews would have been absolutely unheard of. But again, that's what Jesus does, right? He flips everything upside down. Paul is saying there's one church and Jesus breaks all of those barriers. And so it's not a matter anymore of Jew and Gentile. It's if there are those in need and we can help, uh, then how, how can we not be a part of that? And so Paul says, yes, do this. Verse six as well, Paul lets them know that when he comes, he's gonna also need some money um, to help with his, his church planting efforts across the world as he continues to travel and to preach. And Paul, he gets... He gets really practical here. Um, verses 3 and 4, for example, discuss the accountability necessary for those who are receiving financial gifts. Um, and so as a church, for example, we have our budget on our website. If you're curious, uh, we uh, undergo a rigorous audit every year to, to help keep us accountable. Um, we also want to be above reproach, just like Paul spells out here. And he also gives us a really good system, um, practically, for our own generosity, doesn't he? Because we don't give haphazardly, Right? right? Uh, we, we don't just give when we feel like it or, or, or when there's, there's money left over. What, is, what does he say? On the first day of the week, every Sunday, put something aside because it's worth giving to. So what I think Paul would say to us is be givers, not hoarders. Be givers, not hoarders. Obviously, it's okay to receive. It's good to receive. And yet some of us all we do is receive, right? And we end up hoarding on to what God gives. And we know how nasty it is to be a hoarder, don't we? I mean, we all do. Maybe you've seen the TV shows, right? That's, I mean, some of you maybe fit into that category. You probably won't admit it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've seen the TV shows, right? This, this kind of thing. Um, it's disturbing, right? We know that it's not right. We know that it shouldn't be that way. And we look at that and we say, well, I couldn't possibly do that. But for some of us, we're spiritual hoarders. We just grab on to God's grace. We, we leech on to his blessings and we put it all about us, right? And we, we focus there and, it, you know, we're like Scrooge McDuck, right? Diving off into the, the, the whatever, the gold, you know. Anyway, Scrooge McDuck, anyway. Um, I mean, that's us, right? Spiritually, in so many ways, we so easily become hoarders. Hoarders of God's grace and his blessings, but we're created to give. Our God is so generous. And you know what's so amazing to me about what Paul says, though, here? It's not what he says or even how he says it. It's who he says it to. 
Because think about it, by this point, we know this church is a mess. These aren't like mature Christians, right? They're not, they don't have it figured out at all. They're still in Jesus 101. They are as messy as possible. And yet Paul still says, you know what, you've got to give. You've got to be generous. I mean, generosity is not a mature Christian discipline. It's just a Christian discipline for all of us. Each of us, Paul says. That means all, right? No matter who you are. Uh, whether you have a lot to give or very little to give, whether you've been following Jesus all your life and you're super spiritual or whether you're brand new, brand new to this, this idea of following this, this God. Generosity, is, it's just simply for all of us. For Paul in the early church, financial giving was just as much a part of Sunday worship as sermons, songs, and donut holes is for us. It was just a part of it, right? Every Sunday, that's right. When you gather, this is just part of what you do. Just like you sing, just like you hear God's word, just as we, you know, have a little donut hole or whatever. It's just as part of, of that experience to be generous. And so each of you, he says, each of us put something aside in a self-disciplined, sacrificial, consistent kind of way. And I realize that for some of you, you're, you're hearing this and you're kind of like, all right, well, just tell me how much, right? Uh, that's how my brain works, because I want, they're out, I'm not accusing you of this, but for me, it's because I just want to do the minimum, right? It's like, tell me how much I have to give, and I can just do that, check it off the list, and feel good about myself, right? Anybody else? Maybe a little bit? I mean, that's, that's how I respond, but the reality is Paul doesn't tell us. I kind of love that, actually. He doesn't tell us. The Old Testament principle is 10% of our, of our income. A tithe, right, is, is where that idea comes from. Um, and, I, and I realized some of you very quickly made, well, that's under the law. We're under grace. But the reality is, if you've, if you've read your Bible even a tiny bit, grace always ups the ante, never lowers it, right? I mean, grace never makes things easier. It makes things better. Uh, but it always raises the bar for us. And so for many of us, 10%, that's just, that's, that's what God asks, um, a lot of us could do a lot more than that, and some of, you, some of you are, and that's amazing. And I realize, though, for others of you, uh, you hear the thought of 10%, it just sounds like a cruel joke, right? You know, maybe, maybe you've made some unwise financial choices along the way. Uh, you're just living above your means or right at your means, right? So there's no, there's no wiggle room there. Uh, others of you are just experiencing really hard times. Um, and so I'm sorry if that feels like a cruel thing to say, uh, 10%. Um, and yet I want to encourage you as well. Uh, it's easy to hear that and think, well, I can't do that, and so I'm just going to kind of whatever it, right? Um, but that's, that's not helpful either. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to find a spot, start there, stretch yourself, and commit to, commit to increasing it as you can. And so if you can only give 2% this year, then give 2%, right? And maybe next year it's 3 and then maybe it's 4 or maybe it's 11 or 12 right? Stretch yourself. Don't, um, you know, don't make it too easy, right? We don't want to do that either. But find a place to begin. Start where you can and start giving. And I, again, I, I know some of you hate me right now. Um, I'm okay with that, I guess, because I think, I think the Bible's pretty clear that a generous lifestyle is just not optional, right? It's just, it's part of, if God is generous to us, and we have to be generous as a result. There's, there's no way around this. Um, but, I, but I realize some of you, just, you, you're like this. And I get that. Maybe you've had a bad experience with the church in the past or abuse of this or maybe, frankly, you just love money so much you can't see anything but bad things when I talk about money. And I, I get that. But here's the deal, and I, I love this. Jesus promises to build this church. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of a movement that's 2,000 years old and is thriving like never before across every known place of our planet. We get to be a part of that. 
And here specifically, right, with us, Christ, I mean, we see, we see Jesus, uh, people meeting Jesus, actually encountering him, giving their lives to him. We see families being restored, the, the poor and the hungry being cared for, inequities beginning to be addressed, and not just here, but at five campuses across our city. And so the reality is if you're not generous, it's your loss. You're the one missing out, not us. God's going to take care of his church. But we get to be a part of something amazing together. Don't you, don't you want to be a part of that? That God is at work, and we get, we get to see him in that. But the reality is where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. But when we're generous, I mean, when we live this out, what it enables us to do, I mean, a few weeks ago, for example, uh, we were able to surprise uh, a single mom with some groceries. I mean, very simple, right? Um, not a big deal at all, but I love what she wrote uh, in response to that. Uh, she emailed me, said, you guys are amazing. I'm truly grateful uh, that I not only attend Christ's community, but I have received confirmation many times that my kids and I really do belong. I'm overwhelmed by the ways God has worked in our lives during this unbelievably awful time. We are so blessed to be a part of this church. I am so humbled by your generosity and thoughtfulness. Or another email I received this week from a family that we've been helping uh, financially with counseling, because we, we do that as well uh, also, right? We want to come and we want to, we want to help in moments of crisis. And, and is, she, she kind of writes in the midst of this, she says, all this drama, so all the kind of the family dynamics that she was experiencing, all this drama, pain, and grief was almost more than I could, dis- I could bear. And I found myself seeking, sinking slowly into deep despair. But then she writes, not only did our church help financially with our counseling for our family, but they helped with the costs for me to see a counselor as well. I remember our church's words distinctly. We want you to thrive, not just survive. And I was thunderstruck with gratitude and a profound sense of awe that our church would share their blessings with our family. Because of the care and concern, she writes, that our church showed for our family. I have a renewed and revitalized idea of who God's church is supposed to be. Yes, we are inherently messed up in some form or fashion, and the beauty, but the beauty of our Christian family is that we are in this together. That's, that's because of your generosity. And I could, I could tell stories of, of what God is doing at Woodland Elementary and the in, inroads we have at that school uh, because of your generosity or the things he's doing at Advice and Aid Crisis Pregnancy that you are a part of, whether you realize it or not, or at Kansas City Rescue Mission or, or some of the most difficult neighborhoods within our city. I could, I could tell you about what, what we get to be a part of in Rwanda or in Iran and really, really tough places and what God is doing there as a result of these things. Or even the fact that we here got to be a part of starting a new campus in our neighboring community just north of here, right? That we not only sent out 120 people, but we get to continue to support them, right? To provide for their needs so that they can begin to flourish and thrive there in that place and begin to see God doing that work, the work that he does here, there as well. All because of of generous people. You see, we, we drift towards hoarding. I think most of us, maybe all of us, but we choose generosity and it's worth it. Last thing here, and this one will be short, it's worth working for, it's worth giving to, and it's worth loving still. This entire chapter, really this entire letter, right, is a call to love. I mean, you can't miss it, like 1 Corinthians 13 right there, you know, all of this this incredible definition of what love is and how important love is for our community. And, And Paul, he's like kind of wrapping it up here. Again, let me read verse 13. Verse 13 I read before, but how he continues. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do, look look at verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. And so as we end this series together, right, this beautiful mess, grow in love, not pride. 
mean, honestly, I can't think of a better place to end our time together. As, as we've been studying this letter over and over and over again, right, week after week, just think about all the issues they had and think about how many of them would be solved if they simply obeyed that last part there. Let all that you do, all of it, let it be done in love. I want to encourage us just to take one step as a result of these things, right? These, these 25 or whatever it was weeks that we've been studying here. Whether this is your first Sunday, right? Or, or you've been here with us a long time. Just one step. I mean, if the church really is worth working for and giving to and loving still. Uh, but that step is not the same for all of us because we're all, we're all at different spots. Um, and so for some of you, you just need to give church a chance. Maybe for the first time, maybe again after a difficulty. Give it a chance. See if Jesus is here and if he's actually worth it. For, for those of you, you just need to commit to, to stick someplace, even when it gets messy, to actually be here, to begin to, to build relationships, to contribute, to be a part of what God is doing, to say, yes, I am in and I'm going to be a part of it. For others of you, it's to give financially or to give more than you've been giving in the past, to say, yes, I'm going I'm to do it. Maybe it's to serve. We talked a lot about serving and spiritual gifts and to say, yes, I'm going to use, I'm gonna use uh, my gifts. Others of you, it's to, to just begin building relationships, to get into a community group so you can have people in your life to talk about these things and to grow, to grow together. I don't, I don't know what the next step is for you, but do something and do it in love. We drift towards pride, towards selfishness, but we choose love. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? He chose, he chose to love, right? He chose to pursue us. Even, even when we run from him, even when we reject him, he gave his life for this thing, right? His bride, this institution, this community. And it is where God continues to do his work in our world. Mystery as it is, the local church as God designed it is the hope of the world. It is the place where his hope thrives, where his message of redemption that our world so desperately needs and healing and justice it's where it lives. For we have been entrusted with a message that our God has come, that he's paid the price on our behalf to forgive us, and that he has risen again, defeated death and all that is ugly, that, that he worked for us when no one else would have, that he gave generously above and beyond, even to the point of his own life, even when we run from him, that he continues to pursue us in love, to chase us, we who so often want so little to do with him. And if God can use a church like Corinth, what might he do here? What's next for Christ's community? I want to end with just one more email. hope you don't mind. This one came a couple months ago. Just a, a great reminder of why we continue to do this. As she starts off, I just wanted to take a minute to let you know how much I've enjoyed my time at Christ's community so far. I hadn't stepped foot in a church other than the requisite weddings and funerals in about 15 years. I thought it might take several tries before I found a church I felt comfortable in, but Christ Community was one-stop shopping for me. You know, whatever. <laughs> but we were the first church she walked into in 15 years. It's pretty cool. She goes on, she says, I definitely have skepticism when it comes to organized religion and the stories of the Bible. So as kind of an outsider looking in, I appreciate that Christ's community recognizes that not everyone there has blind faith. I have a friend I would describe as an atheist-leaning agnostic who thinks all Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. It's fair, right? In all honesty, she says, that's about where I was before I came to Christ's community. 
I was raised Catholic and attended Mass regularly until I was about 25. Then a series of unfortunate events left me without a church home and feeling like God was very far away. I've gone through some difficult times in the past year or so and started to wonder if maybe a renewal of faith was in order. I guess it's safe to say I'm at the start of a long journey. Thank you for making me feel so welcomed. She sent me a new email this week. Um, we'll update it. She missed last Sunday. and So she emailed me, and um, I love this. She writes, it's still a little bizarre to me that I actually miss church when I don't get to go. I mean, that, let's, that is weird, right? <laughs> let's be honest. But people, God is on the move, and he is up to something here. Yeah, it's messy. Church has been messy for 2,000 years, and it's going to keep being messy until Jesus comes back and finally makes us whole, right? Takes this brokenness that lives within us and around us and makes it into something beautiful. But he is, he is up to it. He is creating something beautiful for his glory, for we believe that Jesus is here. And he's worth it. Let's pray. God, we need your help. God, it's so easy to see the inadequacies, the, the failures, the things that we've just done flat wrong as a, as a people. And yet you haven't given up on us. And I pray that we wouldn't either. God, I pray that we would continue to see your work alive within us, individually, within our families, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods. God, across uh, Olathe and uh, this, this surrounding community, God, Kansas City, God, we long to see it. Not for our sake, but because we believe, like Paul did, that this message is worth telling. It's worth telling everywhere and to everyone that we are loved and that you have made a way for us to come back to you. So, Lord Jesus, we praise you. Be glorified now as we sing. In Christ's name, amen.